welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today on a bright and shiny Monday. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about biological, or as we like to call them, natural products in agriculture. There's certainly a lot of questions around many of these products, and a lot of excitement as well when you think about some of the options that are out there right now for improving nitrogen uptake in plants, improving nutrient uptake overall, uh, plant health, surviving through some tough conditions out in fields, those types of things. It's, it is really exciting what's going on in this sector of agriculture, so we're going to talk about that today. We'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can always email us radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, uh, where do you want to start on these natural products? We certainly get a lot of questions about them. Yeah, we really do. And I feel like we talk about them on a very regular basis here on the show, just because there are so many people that are, number one, really skeptical, but number two, can see that, hey, this is kind of the future because in terms of pesticides and let's even just say the conventional things that farmers have used for years, there's a lot of pushback against all that stuff. So if we can find something that exists already out in the environment, it's something that's natural. And then we use that in our crop production agriculture. That seems like a home run. So, yep, a lot of concern and skepticism on the one side, but a lot of optimism and thinking, hey, at some point, we're going to have a lot more of these things. And I agree with that because there's so much investment into that overall industry. And quite frankly, our government and most governments around the world are pushing companies toward this direction. So it is the future. Yeah, it sure is. And, you know, you get a chance to meet with all these big companies, these big ag chem manufacturers, and you see them losing products uh, in other parts of the world, losing products here in the United States. And we've got to fill that void and solve some of the problems out in fields with something. And these natural products offer a, a great shot to do that. And so that investment that you're talking about, some of the biggest companies in ag chemicals and in an ag in general are investing literally billions of dollars into this field. So there's got to be a return there and there's got to be some exciting products coming down the road. And, and there are some exciting products on the market today. Yep, definitely. So I, I would just say though, that we don't find a lot of home run products. In fact, I don't know if there are any home run products. And here's what I mean by that. If you go back in ag history a little bit, if you think about whoever you are on the farm, your grandpa might have been one of the first ones to use a whole lot of fertilizer on the farm. And if you're, you were using fertilizer versus if you weren't, you went, wow, that's amazing. Our dad was one of the first ones in our area to use herbicides. And as you can imagine, if you're using herbicides versus not, you go, wow, that's unbelievable. I mean, I had all kinds of weeds. Now I have no weeds or very few weeds. So those were what I would call the home run events. You don't have that with any of these natural products that I've seen yet. You might have a two bushel gain, a five bushel gain, a 10 bushel gain, something that might pay off really well for you, but it's nothing where you walk out to your field and it's night and day difference and you say, man, that's a 50 bushel yield gain right there versus the other. I just don't see that. So where I'm going with this is 
when you talk to your dad or your grandpa, or maybe it's your great grandpa, and they're talking about, oh, I want a big gain or something. Look, who cares about a big gain? All we care about is making more money on the farm. And if I can invest $5 to gain 10, or if I can invest $10 to gain 30, I'm interested. You got to at least look at that stuff because it's a nice payoff. Well, here's the thing. When you're dealing with living bacteria, living fungi, and even some in the spore form, you are susceptible to having issues with survivability just in how that product is stored, how that product ends up getting packaged, what you're going to mix with it. And then another piece that really is controllable, your water. Many farmers like us have have been spraying, like you mentioned, herbicides or fungicides, insecticides for years. And for the most part, haven't thought a lot about, well, what else is in the water? Uh, Especially if you're, well, I'm getting city water, I'm getting rural water, but there, there are some things in there you need to be aware of when you think of hard water and all those um, things in there, calcium, magnesium, iron, and others. And then you think about chlorine that's going to be in treated water. Those things have a huge impact on the biology that you're putting in the water. And in many cases, I know we were looking back at some research we had done years ago before we were treating water. And you kind of look back at it now and say, well, man, did I give those products a fair shake? Because some would work and some would show literally nothing, no difference between treated and untreated. We thought, well, that product's that product's no good, but maybe we damaged that product. And so we talk about things like water right for treating hard water or bioprep for treating chlorinated water. And the results of using those two products have been dramatic. The improvements of really any of these natural products when we're treating the well, water, whoa, whoa, it's whoa. been good. Yes, you can't say yes, but you can't say dramatic because to me, dramatic it is dramatic. Is 50 no, 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 Brian. I, I'm not saying death, those yeah, are not those are not yield. Pain. Hold on, hold on. You're on the wrong track. Those are not yield enhancement things. Water right and bioprep. They are to keep biology alive. And when we're seeing 100% survivability versus zero, that is a game changer. Well, yes, but I still come back to we don't ever want anybody thinking that any of these products, you're gaining 50 bushels. There's There just aren't any massive things. So I, I guess I would just say, uh, yes, it makes an enormous difference if you keep the product alive or you don't. But then that's where you can expect a decent return on investment. So, no, I understand what you're saying. I just, the wording you use there, I'm like, oh, wait a second. I don't want people thinking that we got home run products. All right. Well, we are going to talk about biological and natural products. Many of them have shown some nice, steady gains over the last few years. So there's some pretty exciting products for, in many cases, low cost to add a few extra bushels on to, to what you're doing. We're going to talk about some of them on today's program, and we'll also take your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight.
Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment, great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct Next-Gen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about some of the biological and natural products out in the market today, and also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head to the phone lines, get our friend Trevor Israel with Valent with us right now. Trevor, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Darren. Thank you. Hey, this is a great way to start a Monday, isn't it? Talk on the radio and, and get this whole week rolling. And I know you're going to be getting questions as planting season gets near uh, about many of the different things that Valence working on, certainly the herbicide business. I think a lot of folks are, are very familiar with. But but Valent has been really working hard on these biological and natural products for quite a while and, uh, and has a lot of products that are already out on the market today. Uh, Trevor, we get a lot of questions about mycorrhizal fungi. I don't want to just limit you to that if you want to talk about other things well, we sure can but uh, I'll let you get started when you're, you're talking about some of these biological and natural products what are some of the things you think farmers need to know well I, I think it starts with um, well you mentioned the uh, uh, mycorrhizal fungi uh, things that can grow on the plant roots so things that are there in the root zone and certainly mycorrhizal fungi is one of those uh, and that's a it targets a, a variety of, of plant species uh, some it doesn't uh, colonize so that's uh, one factor to consider as well in in crop rotations but uh, you know it's important some of our uh, a lot of our agronomic crops uh, corn uh, as well as uh, you know in our state sunflowers and uh, some other crops as well so they can uh, grow along with the plant be inoculated uh, in the soil at planting uh, the mycoapply can be applied in furrow um, with the with the corn seed liquid and furrow or a two by two application, so it gets um, a jump start in there to that uh, population of uh, mycorrhizal fungi. A lot of uh, agricultural practices or natural events can really uh, reduce the, those natural populations of the mycorrhizal fungi, and they're there to help the plant uh, in times of stress or the plant can. Uh, turn on that pathway to if it needs uh, needs more access to moisture or more access to phosphorus or nitrogen or some of these other micronutrients. So if that 
that the mycorrhizal uh, fungi is colonized, then uh, the plant can turn that pathway on, and it can be a more efficient route than just the plant roots because um, they're not as fine. The, the mycorrhizal fungi can go in between the uh, really small uh, soil pores, and they can actually expand further away uh, then the, the plant roots can reach. So we're we're talking about really a, a big uh, expansion of the available area, the surface area that the plant roots can access through these mycorrhizal hyphae. So that's uh, one thing. Um, another uh, another aspect uh, of something growing on the uh, plant roots that's more, uh, talking about protection, and that's a VOEZ. That's our soybean cyst nematode product, and that is a, a bacillus species. Um, it's a strain that we uh, uh, have uh, have claims for uh, soybean cyst nematode protection, and that grows along with the soybean as well. That's a seed treatment, uh, and that can be applied uh, with any standard uh, seed treatment, any other um, uh, particular, you know, whatever your brand seed treatment. That it's an uh, option that can uh, add on for, you know, in addition to some of the other disease or insecticide products, but the Soybean cyst nematode uh, protection uh, from AVOEZ is that uh, will colonize early. Um, as soon as the soybean germinates, we've uh, seen it uh, germinate, uh, or excuse me, uh, colonize the plant root and continue to be there season long. So that's forming that bio barrier uh, with the with the plant roots, um, not allowing the nematodes to make come in contact with the the plant roots. Uh, in fact, when the nematodes get close, the 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 bacillus the uh, the BA1 uh, is the active ingredient in there and that uh, actually paralyzes the the nematodes they, so they can't kind of move their way in that soil water anymore to reach the plant roots are really uh, protecting uh, the roots so they're not being attacked and um, you know reducing any nutrient uptake or efficiency that's caused by the the uh, soybean cyst nematodes as well as some other nematodes as well that's a uh, seed treatment product. We, as a matter of fact, we licensed that out uh, to Pioneer as well um, for for corn seeds. So that's uh, protecting a lot. It'll be protecting a lot of corn seed uh, this year uh, across the countryside as well. So uh, different nematode species, both corn um, and, and of course, so the AVOEZ uh, for soybeans. The the big one there is the uh, soybean cyst nematode. I'm glad you mentioned that, Trevor. When when we think about seed treatments on the market today, they are so important. I know this has been uh, an area that you have worked very hard and your company's worked very hard on putting some great products out there, both chemistry and natural type products like Aveo. When we think about something that grows with the roots, it just provides so much more protection than just a, a chemistry on the seed that that may stay uh, on the outside and just stay in one certain part of soil where roots may move well beyond where that protection's at with something like Aveo that could grow with it. That's pretty exciting. Uh, when you mentioned the uh, the uh, seed treatment for other nematodes, I think that's something we get a lot of questions on. How about root knot nematode? How about some of the other problem species that we're fighting in different parts of the country? Uh, that's right. Uh, we're labeled against those, uh, the root knot nematode, uh, dagger, uh, sting, uh, lance nematode, I believe some of the ones that come to mind. So a lot of these uh, nematodes that attack the uh, soybean as, as well as corn, I think there's uh, 
several uh, uh, longer list of the ones that attack corn species, uh, uh, corn plants. So uh, labeled for uh, several of those um, growing along with the plant as well in corn. And I think in one study we we uh, um, or my counterparts over at Valent Biosciences, matter of fact, were uh, investigating uh, uh, it on the corn seed, and they. Uh, they ran out of room <laughs> through the duration of study because it was grown in the in the greenhouse. But um, through uh, through that period, uh, they kept digging and digging and find protection. You know, at, at even the deepest root depths of uh, of the BA1, the Bacillus similar liquefaciens, protecting the, the roots. So they'll grow along definitely with the corn roots and as well as the soybean roots. Hey, another thing now, back to the mycoapply and talking about mycorrhizal fungi, you made a couple of comments there that I just wanted to highlight too about, you think about how roots are bringing in nutrients and they're kicking out acids and they're trying to solubilize nutrients and bring them in with water. The great thing about fungi, the way it, it, it sure appears to me, is they keep working anyway. We saw it in some tough, dry conditions in South Dakota and other places last year that where we had good mycorrhizal populations and, and utilizing products like this, we were still able to get that nutrient uptake. We were able to hang on longer in drought conditions. Not like it's going to drought-proof anything where, hey, you don't need rain anymore, but you can certainly get by a long, a lot longer time in those situations with mycorrhizal fungi working for you than you could without them. Uh, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, that's uh, adding more pathways and more uh, more of a hyphal network, the hyphae, which are basically act like extensions uh, throughout the soil. So they're really, especially in those drought conditions, really accessing the all of the moisture that's there and able to uh, to keep the plant going. Uh, really able to, uh, as you say, keep the plant going until that next rain event. In this, in some of our simulated studies, we've seen it uh, plants be able to uh, survive seven to ten days longer. Uh, and that can really make a, a, a huge difference uh, for, for that next rain event, especially in South Dakota and some uh, uh, more arid areas as well. Um, so really, in a bad year, you know, being able to have that extra kind of insurance plan or just, you know, having that uh, microbes working for you underground uh, that, are, that have been adapted, and that's what the plants turn to naturally in times of stress. So, and a lot of times they're not there, so... Um, even in a no-till situation, we've seen benefits there um, because they're just very slow to recolonize in there. Uh, they're just they only recolonize by basically soil movement or re-inoculation. So, even the long-term uh, no-till sites we've seen through our um, um, when we look at the colonization numbers of the roots, even in the long-term no-till, a lot of the sites still have a low background. Uh, yeah, getting, getting, a little, getting a little boost from an added application can sure make a difference. Uh, Trevor, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. 
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can email us, radio at agphd.com. Or, if you want, you can just sit back and listen. we got another great guest on right now. It's Lee Lubers. He farms in South Dakota and, uh, and does a fantastic job with a bunch of different crops. Also works with the Extreme Ag Group so he can beat up guys like Kelly Garrett and Matt Miles and show them how to, to, how to raise crops like we do in South Dakota. Lee, how are you doing? I'm doing good. So are you keeping those other guys in Extreme Ag in line? I We talked to Matt a lot, and Matt says, man, I, I'm always getting some good information out of Lee. We talked to Kelly. He says, I'm always getting some good information out of Lee. And I'm like, man, we should just talk to Lee more. Uh, th- those guys keep me on my toes. <laughs> well, Matt's got crop in the ground since, I think he said, February 19th they planted on the on the early side this year. So they're always trying something new down there. How, how early are you going to go? Are you doing any experiments with super early planting like that? Uh, we just got the frost to come out of our ground here in the last week, and our wheat has broken dormancy, but we're a ways off from doing anything in the field. 
Yeah, we are too. Even even with Brian here pushing to, to go earlier and earlier all the time, the crop insurance date has usually been a pretty good guide for us. We haven't strayed too far from that. So that's, uh, I think, around April 10th for us. So got a couple weeks here yet. Um, we're talking about some of the biological and natural products that are out there. I know you're always an innovator, always looking at things on the front side. And I was kind of thinking about this, just looking at where you farm in, in South Central South Dakota. It's a tough environment. And I know there have been a, a a lot of folks from your area that have done well that have talked about soil health and how important that is. I know that's a, a topic near and dear to, to your heart as well. So when you look at your soil health on your farm, what are some of the things and some of the practices you're doing to try to improve that? Uh, No-till has been a huge part of that equation. And then uh, also utilizing uh, biological products to help uh, solubilize and even boost uh, our populations in the soil over the years yeah i think the the reduced till is one what about cover crops for you lee is that is that going to be something going forward or or what are what are you seeing from other guys in your area too in our area there has not been much adoption of cover crops yet interesting i would think with the small grain rotation it might be your shot is it just not enough moisture to get them to go uh, there are years that we've looked at doing it, and then it just doesn't want to rain for quite a while. So we know nothing would even sprout. And then by the time you get into September, we we feel it's too late to get anything established. So that's been what's one of the main factors that's held us back is just probably two-thirds of the years, uh, we're just not going to have the moisture to get things started. Do you think the crop rotation is is helping with getting the the microbial populations really going? I know when you're doing reduced tillage, there's certainly a lot of advantages to to be rotating through different crops. And and over the years, I know you and your brother have done uh, a number of different crops on the farm. Have you found a, a rotation that really maximizes soil health for you, or are you still experimenting and learning? Uh, wheat has been <clears throat> very positive for us in our environment for soil health. And uh, also it gives us another opportunity to spread out workload. And then we also can come back in as we're applying uh, our burn downs later or even laying a, a pre for the following season to run a uh, decomposition, you know, a microbial product and add that in with the chemistry. And that, that's really been a nice boost. Yeah, I've been a lot of talk about um, the the different products you'd mentioned, uh, just some of the biologicals that you're using on the farm. Does it start at the seed with you, or, or like you say, if you're doing some in the fall to get things moving, do you do you notice those still working for you in the spring, or is that just trying to work in the fall? Well, we started out with uh, biologicals pretty much in furrow, but that has evolved like how many other things over the years and now there's even some foliar options and then uh, then the uh, residue decomposition products that didn't exist even five years ago now that those are getting brewed up and we're getting very diverse species and high counts and when we're coming in and doing like a fall valor pass for us it's just a no-brainer because then that's going to be active on the corn stalks and that's going to help us clear into the next year yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, I like the fall herbicide uh, strategy as well. That's been a, a big deal for winter annual weeds with lower rainfall that you normally get in your area. How long are you seeing those fall herbicides last? Are you seeing them last well into the summer? 
Uh, we're seeing them, yeah, well after planting. Uh, that has just been awesome in our operation, being no-till. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, they, like you would mentioned before, there are a couple of things that, that maybe were a little surprising for your area that guys hadn't gotten on to yet or, or that maybe at least other people in other parts of the country be surprised that that uh, with your crop rotation and, and tillage pattern and so forth that the guys weren't trying. But uh, the fall herbicide is another one that I think, man, I'm surprised when I talk to guys on the show here that say, nope, never tried the fall herbicide and we don't have time and all this. And I'm like, man, if I can get my brother to stop the combine to get somebody in the sprayer to to get some acres sprayed i'm pretty sure i could get just about anybody convinced if they actually saw it in the field but man i know driving around this fall or i'm sorry this this uh, winter you've sure seen the fields that are pretty hairy out there where fall herbicide wasn't used it's going to be interesting as things green up here this spring to see how that turns out and we're talking with Lee Lubers here. He farms not too far away from us in South Central South Dakota, and we're talking about naturals and biologicals today. I know inoculants have been used for years, Lee. Are there older products that you say, hey, this one may be old, but it's still in our program, and, and we're still going to keep rocking with this thing? Uh, yeah, we've used some biological products, uh, some of the mainline uh, PGR products and things like that. They've just stayed with us. They've proven themselves, and, and they work. Uh, when it comes to inoculants, we've kind of evolved with the technology, too. More diverse species, higher counts, uh, longer life on seed, you know, in case you have to store it for a while if it rains. So uh, we've made a lot of changes in that department, too. Hey, that's another good point. And, and here's a question we get a lot is, all right, I treated up a semi-load of seed with great intentions and we got big equipment. We're really going to roll. And then all of a sudden the weather turned against us. How long is it going to last? And I know we're always talking about the standard recommendations of, okay, get it out of the sun, try and keep it as cool as you can for as long as you can. But uh, what's your feeling on that? Have you, have you ever gotten stuck where something sitting for a week or two and, and it didn't work? Have you found kind of a limit on that? Uh, we've had soybean seed sit treated for two to three weeks and real excessive, excessively wet periods. And we went out and planted and with the newer technologies, the newer inoculants, totally viable. We couldn't have done that 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, there have been some serious advancements, especially in terms of uh, stabilizers and those types of things to to keep these living microbes alive longer. I mean, obviously, the ideal environment is to get in the ground, but uh, we, we all know re the realities of farming. It's not ideal, and conditions are going to change, and sometimes it plays against you. Uh, when you look at the tough conditions for foliar apps of natural or biological type products have you found some things that work foliar or is your environment just too harsh for that uh we're starting to work with them more and uh around fungicide timing we're seeing some pretty interesting interactions with the plant and that's something we never thought about like can we make biology work on the plant foliar well now we're learning ways we can and then through the extreme ag group we're now starting to test a couple biological fungicides and that's kind of cool because that's a whole new uh area that we've never experimented in yeah this next generation is going to have a blast there's going to be so many cool products coming out and like you said just things where we never even knew there was a chance that something could help us there that that we'll have going forward we're talking with lee lubers here lee thank you so much really appreciate having you on thanks for being generous with your time hey anytime 
talking natural and biological products on the show today. And our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to ask a question or talk about what you're working on on your farm. Of course, you can always email us, radio at agphd.com, and we'll get to some of those emails coming up here in just a little bit in the Ag PhD mailbag time. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. back you're listening to ag phd radio we've been talking about biological or natural products on the show today and we're taking your calls and questions at 
AgPhD. Uh, get into a little bit of soil health discussion there with Lee Lubers and just thinking about the overall health of your soil. It's not just about um, doing no-till and using cover crops. It's about all the microbes that are in the soil. And we had Trevor Israel on earlier talking about mycorrhizae fungi and other biological type things that we'd be considering in the soil. And when we have good populations of natural microbes in our soil, oftentimes their crops do better. And so that's that's one of the reasons and one of the observations that's been made and one of the reasons that farmers are, are shooting for some of these biological products to try to help improve their crop production in one way or another. And then to your point, Brian, doesn't necessarily mean you can have 50 more bushels, but if we have something that can help fight off some problematic nematode species, hey, in parts of the field, it might be a big deal. And when we have other bugs that, that may help bring nutrients into our crop, great. That that can be a help too, especially under stressful times when we're having a tough time getting the nutrient uptake that we need. Uh, anything else you wanted right. to point out before we move on? Uh, nope. All right, let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag then. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, uh, Brad from uh, Virginia had a few questions for us last week, and he had a follow-up question today. He said, guys, I, I'm going to go with the three pre's and the roundup, uh, like we're talking about here for water, hemp, marestail, and ragweed control, and I'm going to add some aim in for burndown. And it's always tricky when you're adding in uh, another product to help with burndown, but certainly we've got water hemp and marestail and ragweed that could be resistant to the roundup. So how much aim would you be adding in in a burndown situation along with your three pre's? How much aim would I use? I think the I, standard well, standard that a lot of guys are doing here is an ounce, but I, I know that can vary, and it just depends on what else you've got in there that's actually going to kill those weeds that are already up. If Roundup isn't going to work on them, if you had Sharpen as part of your three pre's, ahead of soybeans, you can only use an ounce. So if you've got any whoa, size to the mare's tail, whoa, 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 that would be— whoa, that would whoa, be, whoa. we, we got to make sure we're clear on this. You, you, sharp, if Sharpen is used, you can't use any other PPO. So please don't use Sharpen as part of your three pre's. Leave that out. Never use sharpen in front of soybeans. Like literally never. So aim fine. That's that's not going to hurt anything because it doesn't have soil residual. But sharpen has a little soil residual. And it's going to hurt if you're going to throw it in with other PPO. So I, I anyway, as far as the aim, I, I'm not at my desk and I can't look up what costs are right now. So I don't remember what that costs. And so maybe you can look that up quick, Darren. But I. My point here is also AIM is pretty inexpensive, whereas there are a lot of other products that do cost quite a bit of money for burndown. So it's a fairly inexpensive product to throw in with your burndown if you feel that you need that. However, if you're throwing Roundup in with the three pre's, so you've got the burndown ability of Metribuzin and either Valor or Authority, that's not bad. I'm not saying it's great, but it's not bad. So, yeah, if you feel like you need a little extra kick for the mare's tail, then the uh, the aim is a good way to go. Otherwise, what a lot of guys have done now is if they're going dicamba-tolerant soybeans, they're throwing dicamba in. 2,4-D-tolerant soybeans, they're throwing 2,4-D in. And those things then really can make it great. 
Okay, well, here's here's a couple other questions, though, that are kind of standard for burn downs. When you're doing a burn down, how many gallons of water should be used? What types of surfactants and adjuvants are you normally adding? And then how does this vary as you've got big weeds, like 12-inch tall weeds, versus if you've got weeds that are just getting started that are only a couple inches tall? Okay, well, first of all, our suggestion is always plant early. So if your weeds are already 12 inches tall, then, I mean, we should have done a fall treatment, probably farm however, well, that or you can farm however you want. But like on our farm, I'd like to have all my crop planted before my weeds are even two inches tall. So I, I'm just trying to say if it's me and I got weeds that tall, that's telling me I probably could have been planting early. But anyway, whatever. So generally speaking, we're dealing with very small weeds here, like quarter inch tall weeds to one inch tall weeds. And you definitely do not want lots of water volume. You're also using Roundup in a lot of cases that doesn't need much water. And many of these other products don't have to have crazy amounts of water either. But I would say this, when we were just talking about AIM and Gramoxone's also been brought up as a burn down, and that's good too, but those products require more contact. So that's where, especially if the weeds are now getting to 12 inches tall, you want to be upping your water volume. So in that case, what I'm saying here is if your weeds are 12 inches tall and you're using Gramoxone, I'm probably using 15 gallons of water. If it's if the weeds are really small and I'm not using Gramoxone or AIM or any of these contact killers, then I'm probably down in the 5-7 gallon kind of range. All right. Thank you very much for the questions, Bradley. Really appreciate that. I've got a couple things here from Kent, and I'll give you the first one, Brian. He said, uh, my girlfriend was asking me, what's the difference between farming here in the United States or farming in Peru? I, I don't want to get into belittling any other country or anything like that, but I'm just kind of curious. What would you say for someone who doesn't really understand farming and maybe hasn't traveled uh, very much? Well, anytime you're going into any foreign country, then you just, you have a lot more fears. So I don't, I'm not necessarily talking American going to Peru. I'm talking any country to any other country. You, you don't know the laws, the people, the soil, the weather, the everything. So there's just tremendous risk. And I've always kind of looked at this thing because a lot of people said, oh, why don't you guys, Darren and Brian, you guys can do some stuff internationally and everything. It's like, Look, I mean, we'll do some, some work in Canada, and our, our shows are on up in Canada and everything, and, and that's fine. We're pretty familiar with that. But to go to other parts of the world that I'm completely unfamiliar with, it's just, it, it's a lot of risk. I got enough stuff to do here, and there's enough potential for me to do well here. So that's probably the biggest thing that I would say. But farming is farming wherever you go. Yeah, I'd say this too, just the infrastructure investments that have been made in the United States, and I can just speak to our country, uh, have been tremendous. When you look at rail, when you look at the waterways, which do need some improvement, there's no doubt about that now, but they're still better than, than what's available in a lot of areas just to get product to market. We've, we've got a lot of opportunities to move our product around, so that's been, been a big advantage in our country too. All right, the other thing uh, that Kent said is he said, recently you've gotten into some discussion about why not planting trees in certain areas, and actually he said, I agree with everything you said, but I just wanted to make it clear that there are places that people want to plant more trees. Uh, and then there's places where trees can be a nuisance. 
Now, we farm in the plains of Wyoming, and we're desperate for trees and don't necessarily have the budget to pay for the local government to plant thousands of them for us. So if anyone wants to help plant trees or wants a place to send trees, let them know our farm would be a great place to send them. Well, hey, trees are very inexpensive, and it does not cost much for a farmer to go individually and planting trees. It just takes time. So. Uh, and, and yeah, we got into this discussion because somebody said, well, you can't come up with any negative stuff about trees. I'm like, well, wait a second. It With everything, there's positive and there's negative. So don't misunderstand what we're trying to say. We love trees. We like more trees. That's all fantastic. But it's just there are certain cases where trees absolutely can be an issue and a challenge so you can, I, I know like on our own farm, my, my daughters were upset when we were taking out some trees and I go, girls, look, we're putting in a whole bunch of other trees right over here. So we're more than replacing the trees we removed, but we can't have the trees here for a couple of reasons. Yeah. And, and that's a good point, Kent, that the trees can be a nuisance in some spots. And oftentimes trees go in where, where somebody wants them that are useful for the next 10 years, 20 years. And, you know, things change over time. Uh, I've talked to a, a number of farmers that have had to take out a big tree here or there. And there's a lot of heartache that goes in that. Uh, but sometimes it's, man, I can't get my bigger equipment into the yard now. I need this tree to be out of the way and we'll put some more trees up on the other side of the farm to, to, uh, to replace that or, or or to, yes, as Brian said, uh, fill in where we took some trees out. All right, uh, we'll get back to more of your questions right after this. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is KyberClean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. 
If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We've been talking about biological and natural products. Just had uh, some questions around, well, what what biology and what natural products, what, what does that all encompass? And certainly we've talked about bacteria and fungi. And I think a lot of times folks think about that. Okay, that's the biology we're talking about, bacteria and fungi, but there's much more. We, we see a lot of organic acids being used now. We see a lot of amino acids being used now, especially as we look at trying to build uh, proteins and, and get more nitrogen into plants. Man, there's just some exciting things that are out there. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty broad term and a broad um, product category. But there are a lot of natural and biological things out there on the market today. Uh, the other question that we get quite often that I don't think we, we really got into today is, all right, I see some biological or natural products that look exciting. Should I try them? And if so, would you be comfortable trying them on quite a few acres? Well, the answer is yes. I think it's a great idea to try some. I always think it's a good idea on the farm to be trying some different things that you really think, hey, this one I've I've really fully vetted it. I've looked at it. It looks very interesting. I've seen a little bit of data on it. It looks interesting. It's worked for some other people in this certain situation. I've done the homework on, hey, tell me everything I need to know about this product to make it work for me and looked at where it would work into my crop plan. Uh, if I'm going to put it on the seed or if I'm going to put it in furrow or if I'm going to put it out fully or so forth and I'm going to mix it with this product and that's fine. I'm going to mix it with that product. That's fine. Those kinds of things. But once you figure all that out, then the question is, how many acres do you do a trial on? And we always say, keep your trials small. We don't want to take too big of a chance just in case something doesn't work out. Now, maybe you say, well, what's the worst that could happen? I just get no return out of something. Maybe the, the worst that could happen is you get a negative return and you don't want to lose money, especially this year when there's so much money on the table and with the, the price of inputs. And of course, what your potential gross income could be. You don't want to lose that on too many acres. So I would say keep it small. And that's all up to you as far as, well, what is small? If I was farming, say, 100 acres, then maybe a couple acres would be kind of a small trial. I had a question come up earlier today from someone that said, hey, thinking about raising sunflowers. Nobody in our area is raising them. But, man, there sure is a good price and a good opportunity to make money. Well, here again is where if you had been doing a little bit of research leading up to this and you said, you know, I'm going to try a little canola. I'm going to try a little uh, area of edible beans. I'm going to try a little area of sweet corn. I'm going to try a little area of sunflowers, those kinds of things over the years. 
you would kind of have an idea of, hey, here's what I saw that worked. Here's what I saw that didn't work. Uh, here are some concerns that I would have. And, and this happened to be in an area that has a lot of white mold potential, which can be really devastating for sunflowers. So my advice was, well, I don't think I'd go in whole hog like this. I don't think you can really take that big of a gamble. I think I'd do a very small amount of your farm and just give it a shot and see what kind of challenges come up and learn a little more about the crop. So with any of these products, if you're interested and you say, man, I'm really thinking I'm going to try this because nitrogen prices are high this year, or man, I haven't had soybeans here for a while. I'm going to try this different kind of inoculant that I've never used before. I just say always walk before you run to make sure you don't have any big issues along the way. All right. Uh, looks like Brian's back on and we can uh, dive back into a couple of these questions, Brian, if you're ready for that. Uh, so I get a, got some soil tests that came in here from, oh, wait, you know what? I want to get to this one first. I want to make sure we get over this. Uh, this came in late uh, on Friday. It came in after our show, so we didn't get a chance to answer it. Uh, but Colin said, hey, guys, I, I went to a couple of your workshops this winter. I decided to try putting on my pre's early, as you recommended, in March. Uh, the snow uh, finally just came off, and we got an inch of rain a couple of days ago, so the fields were wet. But we were looking at the forecast, and we were thinking, if we get out there quickly, we've got more rain and snow in the forecast for Tuesday and Wednesday. Monday is only looking like 5 to 10 mile an hour winds, so it looks totally doable for us. Our sprayers ready to roll in the heated shop. What would you think about getting out right before more snow and rain hits on Tuesday and Wednesday? Well, I don't know what your soil conditions are, so I don't know how cold the soil is. So let's put it this way. When we do our early spraying, and we talk about March, and in our area, just keep in mind, there's still frost in the ground to some degree. I'm not saying full frost or anything. But there's still frost to some degree every March where we farm. So we like it then because zero weeds are growing until you get into mid to late April a lot of times. We then have more time to get rain or snow and get the herbicide activated, but we don't need it instantly. So I don't care if you're getting rain or snow in two days or two weeks or a month. As long as you're getting rain or snow before the weeds start to emerge, you're in good shape. And that's the whole point. When you spray after you've planted, now you're, you probably have weeds that are about to come up any day, and you need rain quickly or snow quickly you got to have some moisture to activate that herbicide. So that's the reason why we talk about this early application, plus the fact it spreads the workload. All right. Speaking about the weather being ideal and, and getting oh, some moisture. Hey, oh, hey let me. Sorry. Uh, I, I should have said I don't know what your soil conditions are. What I mean by that is if your ground is absolutely frozen like a rock. No, they're getting and, they're getting highs up into the upper 30s uh, this week and up, okay. into, up okay, to maybe okay. 40. Okay, yeah, we want we want it to be thawing every afternoon. As long as it's thawing every afternoon, you should be fine. All right, thanks for that question. Uh, got another one. This is a follow-up to a question last week. This comes from Don up in North Dakota. He said, I heard you talking uh, to a, a caller that was from uh, North Dakota last week about protecting his urea on Durham ground. This is actually a common question for us as well. We always try to apply our urea and get the ground ready for the wheat drill so that in the spring, all we have to do is seed it and not turn the ground. We're more likely to get a stand if it should remain dry doing it that way. Now, if we don't get the ground ready and we have, or we have standing bean stubble, now what do we do? Well, our options would be lay urea on top with a stabilizer or seed wheat first and then spread. Right. Or cover 
yep. or shallow, perhaps of the Salford. Uh, different stabilizers, one for laying on top, a different one if you're putting it down in the ground. Uh, so if you cover it shallow uh, with just a Salford, then what stabilizers should be used? Well, okay, Don, I think the Salford, a lot of times, I don't see all the urea getting under the ground. I think some gets under the ground and some doesn't, and I think maybe that's what he's getting at here. So you definitely need something that's going to handle uh, volatilization loss as well as, as the other forms of nitrogen loss. So you just have to look at the different products that you have available in your area and find one that, that protects you against uh, at least two or three different ways you could lose in. Any other comment on that, Brian? Oh, I think I lost Brian. Because some of the stabilizers out there just protect against volatilization. So I think that's what you're getting at, Don, that if you were going to lay it on top, well, volatilization by far and away would be your biggest concern. But if you're gonna, going to uh, bury some of the urea at least, then you're worried about leaching or more likely denitrification. So make sure that you're looking at the stabilizers and looking at what they're actually going to protect you against. So that way you can, can get uh, protection for more than just volatilization loss. All right. Uh, had a question come in from Michigan, Brian. This one's from Jamie. Uh, I'm in southern Michigan. Just picked up a piece of ground. Want to try and shoot for 60 or 65 bushel soybeans out there. It was corn last year. And we were just wondering what you recommend on fertility, trying to shoot for 60 plus bushel beans. Also, we will address the low pH with high calcium lime. So here's the questions I throw at you, Brian. Uh, most of their pHs are in the upper sixes to low sevens. They have one spot that was five, six and one spot that was six. Oh, that's it. Uh, would you play with lime if you only had two spots in the whole field that might need it? You only have one spot in my book. I'm not. I'm not liming if we're under six, or I mean, unless we're under six. I agree. So, yeah. So no, I I wouldn't. That's okay. the only spot. And then uh, we got about a minute left here, but we got base saturation calcium. Sorry, potassium in the four to six range on most of the farm, but we've got a I'll few of soil. Uh, CEC around. Oh, <laughs> CEC around five to ten. Yeah, so you need more, more most likely, because it's not many pounds per acre that you got. Go ahead. Yep. So I would say this. Don't get thrown off by that. Look at what your parts per million are, because in many cases, they're less than 100 parts per million. So you're definitely going to need more K, and you're definitely going to need more phosphorus. And then I look at sulfur and some of the micros. It looks like we're short in that, too. So rather than spending the money on lime, I would start addressing each one of those. Look at the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app. You can see exactly how many pounds you're going to need to raise your crop. And then look at your soil test. It doesn't look like you got a whole lot of pounds out there to start with. Uh, so you could just look at what you got on your soil test and, uh, and try and boost that for a 60 or 65 bushel yield gain. If In my mind, I would just put on everything that you're going to need for 60 to 65 bushel beans because there isn't much in the soil to start with. Hey, thanks, Jamie. Really appreciate the question. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.